You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 115. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today I've got a special treat for you. We are going to do a quick deep dive into desired outcomes. You see, outcomes focus is what we're going to talk about today. And as many of you know, I spent years talking about shifting the mindset and shifting our focus as PMO leaders, project managers, program managers, portfolio managers, and anyone working on projects to shift it from outputs to outcomes. Now, this word outcomes is getting more attention recently, which I'm grateful for, but what exactly does that word mean apart from something more than we're already doing with our projects? Now, in this session, we're going to learn more about outcomes and why clearly defined outcomes will address many of the issues that you've been having with your projects, with stakeholder engagement, and with communications. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by UMT360. Gartner advises any organization looking to drive business agility to adopt a best-of-breed strategic portfolio management solution, in addition to any tools used to manage execution. UMT360 is positioned in Gartner's recent Magic Quadrant report with a solution that delivers all of the missing strategic portfolio management capabilities you'll need to align all execution with strategy. You can learn more at umt360.com. That's umt360.com. Okay, let's dive in. I am super excited to talk about outcomes-focused thinking and what it really means. And I want to urge you to not multitask if you are multitasking right now, because you are going to want to take some notes on what you're learning today, and you're going to want to put it into action quickly. Now with me to talk about this outcomes thinking is an outcomes expert, Alex Chapman. Now, Alex is a 40-year-plus veteran who started her career in IT when COBOL was the main programming language. Now, I actually have a computer science degree myself, but we weren't quite using a a COBOL, but it was back in the 90s. So I remember my computer was a Dexstation 5000 that was a Unix-based computer and people were like, it was a box the size of a desk. Anyway, Alex has traveled the world installing banking software packages in the 1980s. And then because she wanted a seat at the table, Framing Organizational Strategy, did an MBA in 1988 and made the shift to focus on strategy, execution through projects. Now, this is a really important point. Getting and keeping that same that seat at the table is super important, and I'm sure you're going to uncover some ways to do that in this session. Now, with her late husband, Jed Sims, Alex pioneered the focus on value enabled by outcomes thinking. Wow, Alex, I have just got to tell you, I am so honored that you are here. I am so excited to talk about this topic because I have been talking to my community about shifting the focus from outputs to outcomes and how that can help you earn your seat at the table quickly in your organization because you're going to be acting and thinking like a business leader. So thank you so much for being here today, Alex. 
Oh, look, I'm absolutely thrilled. It's so fun to sort of find someone who's as excited about the topic as I am, because I can literally talk behind leg off a donkey, as uh, we say in Australia. <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> excellent. And, and, you know, it's funny because you and I talked about the title of this being intentional with a quick deep dive into desired outcomes. And it's because both of us are so passionate about this topic. And you're going to hear that passion and excitement as we get into this. So if you are multitasking, come back to us now, stay with us, stay focused, grab your notepad, because we're going to go fast so that we can get deep and really help you understand what desired outcomes is all about. So Alex, I'm so happy. Can we just like dive into this and go deep quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you sort of mentioned it's a quick deep dive. How can you possibly have a quick deep dive? Well, the answer is I have so much to say. I've spent so many years thinking about it that I like to talk really, really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm with you there. So I think this is going to be fun. So let's start with the basics because people might here, okay, outputs to outcomes. Okay, I got you. But what does that really mean? And so can we start with the basics? How do you define outcomes? Well, what I'll do, first of all, is tell you what I've done recently is that I decided I would actually go do the standard thing and do a search on outputs versus outcomes. And what was hilarious is I found a whole pile of very authoritative sources and seemingly very authoritative articles. And some of them are on some of the major websites. And I'm looking at all these things and I'm thinking, what they do is they try and compare, they show you, if it's not this, it must be that kind of thing. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, no one would ever actually work out from this. All it does is say, it's something more. It's something yeah. more than an output, right? And you kind of go, that's not helping anyone. So right. we have a very specific definition. And I'll tell you where the definition came from, is that it dates back to 1994, which mm -hmm. is how long I've been thinking about this stuff. When I was doing some work for an engineering company and they sort of said, well, of course, you know, there are other models of project delivery. And I go like what and he said well turnkey means you just hand it over whereas there's engineer procure construct operate mm. and I go oh so there's one where you actually hand over a working asset and then I thought putting my business executives hat on I thought that's what the business actually wants they don't want something that they've got to get out of the box and then set up and so then the definition that we give people, so here is the definition. We say desired outcomes. Why is it desired? Because it's what you want, because you can have negative ones. So it's the ones you want to move towards. Mm. Desired outcomes, they're carefully crafted statements that define what the future looks like when it's working just right or it can be well, working well or well enough and what you intend to achieve. Now, the working as in an operational business as usual environment is key. So what that means is that you don't want the accounts payable software. You want that department working just well with excellent processes that are doing excellent customer service and people enjoying their work and the software is just making it easy for them to do an excellent job. Mm -hmm. That's what you want. 
So it's that shift from, in effect, we're saying we don't want turnkey anymore. We want an outcomes delivery model, and that's what I call it. And then project managers always say to me, well, you mean we're going to actually run the project to the point where it's operating some business as usual environment? And Mm. I go, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. And they go, how far do we go? And I go, well, one of the things is that you've got to agree that with the project sponsor. So the project sponsor says, you get it to this level of operation and then we take over. So that's the first thing. That's the definition. Now, the next thing is, is then you go, okay, so we're crafting words to describe this. And you go, yes, you are. And the reason why you're doing that is because for two things. One, you want words to express what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. And the second that I say to people, and this is really important, is that it's not just good enough to get four or five really smart people in the room and they come up with some terrific words and everyone goes, oh, that's really great. What you need to do when you do this process and it's designed to be done in this way is you get as many people involved as possible. Mm -hmm. And as those people are involved, what happens is that there's a huge debate about what words to use, the meaning of the words, the order of the words. And you know, because the outcome statements will go through a number of versions, you know that once people really start to argue about a particular word or expression, that you're getting close to getting something that's acceptable. And mm. what I've seen is that you can do a really good job in a morning, but you need that kind of fermentation, composting, kind of ruminating, mulling time. Mm. And because of the way the brain works, inevitably, that's about 21 days and then all of a sudden you go, ah, what we really want is X and this is the way we describe it. And you'll go through quite a few versions. I've seen organisations go through 10 or 12 versions as the Mm. document is circulated. In fact, I'm looking right now at the roadmap that we did for TOP in 2011 and we're up to version 15 of it. And I think I've finally just about nailed it now. And I can put it in front of people and they go, oh, yeah, I get what you're doing. Right. Right. Well, and I really want to help all of our, what I call impact drivers, which being able to think outcomes thinking is a really important part of that. I really want to help them understand this pivot and this shift, because as we go into the next few questions I have for you, which I have got like a gazillion, but we'll see what we can get through. What we're talking about is as we think about the triple constraint, the time, scope, and cost or earn value management and all these other things that are out there that we have been trained are the ways to measure our value as PMO leaders and as project managers. What we're talking about is we're not saying throw all that out the window, but those are just a way to measure progress, not results. Right. Right. Let me talk first about the triple constraint, because one of the ways in which we talk about that people measure projects is that they measure project success by time, cost and spec. Right. Right. And I've got a slide in my slide pack where I show the Sydney Opera House, the most iconic or one of the most iconic buildings in the world. Right. And I say to people, okay, measuring project success, time, cost, specification. Right. Sydney Opera House. 
massive fail, massive, massive, massive fail. Right. And so for those that don't know, way over schedule, way over budget. (laughs) (laughs) We Australians have to be embarrassed by the fact that we sent the brilliant Danish architect back to Denmark. Oh, God. Anyway, but measure it by outcomes, benefits, the positive consequences of those new working just right future states, the value that we ascribe to particular benefits, enormous, enormous success. So that's the thing. Now, the thing is that one of the things I also, people don't realise that what's come with the turnkey model, because it came out of construction, if you're building a building or building a road, the triple constraint are a good proxy measure for finishing the project according to what you were supposed to do. It's a proxy measure, right? Right. The problem is it's not a good proxy measure for a business project. And the reason why is that once you do an outcomes roadmap, which is the other thing I teach people to do, what you find is the dollar, the value of all sorts comes up very erratically in a roadmap. So you might have all of the costs being in achieving the first outcome, and then every single outcome after that delivers value. Mm. So that's the first thing. Now, I've got a bit of a rant about earned value because earned value is not earned value, it's earned cost. Right, right. Oh, my gosh, yes. So I'm always saying to people that, you know what EVM doesn't measure? Earned value management does not actually measure value. Like there's nothing in it that's about value. It's about measuring progress towards a target. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's earned cost. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Should be renamed. It's not going to happen though. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I find that one in particular really bothers me. I think I actually did a podcast episode just on that because I was like, listen, people. And so here's the challenges I think that we have, Alex, with, with a lot of the PMO leaders and project managers. Many of them were trained in whether it was Prince2 or in the PMBOK or whatever their methodology, which defines, well, it defines value as we say, kind of in a short-sighted manner, but we've been taught to measure our value in terms of how much we perfect our outputs, our deliverables, and getting those to comply with this time, scope, and cost. But the way I, just like your example with the Opera House, one of the things that I try and help people understand is let's imagine that you were running this project And it was for a software solution. And when the business came to you and said, hey, market has shifted. We need to make a change. We've got to do this right now. And then we replied with, or the PMO replied with, sorry, change control boards backed up for three months. Can't get you in right now. We're going to have to proceed and go with a phase two. In the meantime, (laughs) what happened is the market totally went off in another direction. You've missed your opportunity. Uh, you roll this project out on time, on scope, on budget. The project team is cheering themselves on, oh, patting each other on yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. And the business leaders are attending this celebration the for the funeral. project, angry, <laughs> frustrated, and saying, now we've totally missed it. And this was a complete waste of time and money because the market's yeah, yeah. gone. We missed yeah. our opportunity. The return <clears throat> on investment isn't there anymore, right? And that's mm. what I keep trying to help people understand understand is that if we keep tying our value to the outputs we've created instead of the outcomes that we need to achieve, we are going to continue to be treated as administrative overhead, as box checkers, and as unworthy of a seat at the table. 
the way well, you, you know the classic thing about most project management offices i think is that they i think the average uh, lifespan of them is everyone says we've got to manage our projects as a portfolio right and then a lot of pmo managers come in and they think their role is to add up the costs right instead of in effect, maximize the value by choosing the best projects and doing them in the right sequence. So that's the yes. other thing that comes out of outcomes is that you can assemble outcomes into what I call a path dependency roadmap. And mm. it's a diagram that shows you that you probably should do, and, and I've done this with clients where, in fact, one client I worked with recently, where they had so many things going on because they were a major organisation. The government came along and said, we're going to completely change the way disability care is offered in Australia. Mm-hmm. And they were doing all the right things, but they were just doing so many things that the staff, and particularly frontline workers, were feeling very, very stressed. So what we actually did is that when we put all the outcomes together and we built this path dependency roadmap that in effect says if we're going to get to here we've got to get this working just right and then we if we get these two things working just right then we can get to there and then we can get to there and the thing was is that we said okay well what's the very start of it and we worked out the three or four things that they needed to do and no surprise this it's all pretty much always (laughs) about data quality and good processes right what a surprise Right. right But if we can get those things going, then people's stress levels will go down and they will be able to actually have more time to do the next level of things and then the next level of things and then the next level of things. So that's the first thing. That's really what the PMOs should be doing is that Mm -hmm. they should be adding up the investments and working out the best strategies to do investment. And the other thing that comes when you do craft the outcome statements for your project, you can build what we call a top value equation. So basically what we say is outcomes deliver positive consequences. That's what a benefit is. And we do them in sort of seven things. So there's customer, competitive, productivity, and down the bottom of the funnel is financial and risk is right down the bottom, right? And what we basically say is, is that these are all the benefits, but you may not build tracking and forecasting models for the value for all of them. So, for example, if you're doing one for a product launch, you're almost certain to do a forecasting model for what you think sales are going to be. Right. But then what we'd say to people is that just because you've done the forecast, it doesn't mean you put the forecast in the bottom drawer and don't look at it again. What you do is you actually track that model as soon as you've built it. Mm-hmm. And you're tracking for three things. Have we got the right, did we predict what the level of the sales would be? Have we got the right drivers that convert that sales number into dollars in the bank? Mm-hmm. And have we got the assumptions right? And all of those might be wrong in the model. But And then we will go, well, why are you going to track it? Well, the answer is because you put it in front of the steering committee and they go, Jeepers creepers, we're overperforming. Oh my yeah. God. And then you go, well, what do you want to do, guys? Well, if we give you twice the money, can you do it twice as fast? And you go, right. well, yes, we can. So we go right. off and do it twice as fast. Or right. if, like in the 2008 or 2009, when the whole mortgage crisis caused the mortgage market to fall apart, and lots of the banks around the world were redeveloping their mortgage systems. So then you go, okay, well, nobody's borrowing money. What do we want to do about this project? Do we want to 
mothball it completely or do we want to keep going or what do we want to do and but that gives the steering committee the option to make a decision yeah we should keep going because once the market picks up we want to be able to be so much better than all the others that it's a strategic advantage for us well and that's a really important function that the pmo can play right there's a few things Mm. we're talking about like this is most of the folks listening but not everyone is working in pmos or running pmos etc our portfolios programs and this is an opportunity. There's a few things we're talking about that are really an opportunity for PMOs that are harder to be able to see through to completion as a project manager. So for example, Alex, we were talking about how, yes, we want to have the project team around longer to actually get to the point of not just throwing a bunch of deliverables over the fence, but being certain that the outcomes are achieved. That's one critical place a PMO can help is that the PMO can be there before it's even handed to a project team. The PMO can be there to- Someone needs to be, yeah. Yes, Someone has to be there to help pull out those outcomes and facilitate conversations around getting to those outcomes and can be there long after the project is over to measure, not just, I mean, you don't actually start achieving outcomes until the project is delivered and put into service, put into use, whatever that is, whether it's an organizational change (laughs) or a system or it doesn't matter. Let me stop you there because actually that's not true. One of the things that we teach people is that you don't have to wait for the project to be finished before you start getting outcomes. And in fact, let me just quickly segue into discussing path dependency because I haven't really yeah. explained it. Yeah, let me bring it so, to me because I want to hear this. Yeah. Okay. So path dependency, if you Google the term, talk about the fact that it's the catchphrase is history matters. So basically mm-hmm. what it does is it says for any given circumstance, exactly where you are. Your options now are determined by already pre-made decisions. And sometimes you can or you cannot change where you are. Right? So, for example, the QWERTY keyboard was chosen specifically in order to slow typewriters down. Right? But we now all have QWERTY keyboards because how difficult would it be to move to the other one, the Dvorak keyboard? We're locked into that. Before 4G and 5G or 3G became available, we were locked into communications that, that were determined by where the copper wires went. Right? So that's kind of an example of path dependency. Now, one of the things that we've done in top is that we have slightly evolved the concept of path dependency to talk about the fact that If you assemble outcomes into a roadmap, outcomes, these little pieces of working just right future, actually allow you to sort of step forward with a sort of like a, because we've got this, we can get to there. Because we've got that, we can get to there kind of logic. So outcomes in themselves actually open up or close down alternative futures. Ah. And one of the things that you do when you're just starting a project, especially where you've got lots of unknowns, is that you say to yourself, well, I don't know what we're going to get to in nine months' time, but I can start working on this outcome and I can make these decisions such that it keeps my options open, although I'm heading in a specific direction. Right. So back to the thing about when you said, it's not until the project's finished. Well, the answer is that this whole discovery of outcomes starts when you get an idea. 
Mm. And one of the things that happens, and especially if that idea management process runs through the PMO, which seems to me a logical place for it to do, is that sometimes you can actually start working the project even before you get past that pre-business case stage because you go, Mm -hmm. oh, well, we could do that thing relatively easily and it might only cost us you know, say five or $10,000 or $50,000, depending right. on the size of the organisation. Right. And we can do that and we go, ah, so we're already getting results. So the other thing that outcomes thinking allows you to do is that it allows you to start on that delivery journey without actually having nailed every aspect of the project plan. Mm, because everyone's thinking you're kind differently. of clear about yeah. intent yes yes okay so then I need to change the way I talk about that because it's really about ultimate return on investment that takes yep. a little bit longer to get because the things have to be in service but along the way we have these outcomes that are helping us towards that goal that we can actually explore earlier because we've been very clear about what we want those desired outcomes to be. So we Mm. can start playing with them, toying and making progress on, let's see, smaller outcomes that will lead to that bigger, larger outcome we're looking for. And ultimately then eventually the return on investment. Exactly. That is is exactly it. Excellent. And the other thing that you get out of that is there's an opportunity to basically, one of the other things I say about, if you get a really good, well-crafted outcome statement, Mm-hmm. I talk about them as being like having this internal map and a compass. Okay. And so I'm in Australia, so I'm going to drive to Sydney, right? So I've already decided I'm driving to Sydney. I'm not going to Adelaide. So I've already filtered my options. But there's quite a few routes that I could go. And I kind of go, well, you know, there's been lots of floods around. Which one's the best one? And I've got to drive next week. Well, the answer is I kind of go, well, I know I'm going to Sydney, but I can start along the three major roads and I'll pick the one that I think that's going to be the best. If I get blocked, then I can divert and go a little bit sideways and then go the back route and then come back to the main road. So I'm not going to get lost, right? Now, the I'll just read you this outcome statement that came from this disability support organisation because I love this particular statement and it is okay. remarkable how they all kind of lined up around it. These are carers that look after people that have got quite serious disabilities, may need help feeding, or just to have fun, go out to the park and play with the dogs or something. One of the outcome statements that I came up with is each day is full of joy for our customers and employees. Our employees enable customers to achieve their goal. Yeah, I, I like it. Wonderful. I like that a lot. It's a different way for people to be thinking about all of this. And I think that is super, super important because that's really what that we've we talked a little bit earlier about my impact driver mindsets and the last one being transformed mindset. Everything yeah. we do is shifting. We've got to shift the way we're thinking about our role, the people that we're engaging in these projects and how we are enabling people. And part of that is shifting that whole mindset and conversation around outcomes. Mm. So good. Okay. So we talked about the PMO being in position to be able to facilitate a lot of this conversation, even if in your organization, you don't have project managers 
in that initial pre-business case outcomes conversation. Let's say that's where you are. That's your reality. So the PMO can play an important role here. So I'm curious, and you kind of alluded to this about going through multiple iterations, but Mm -hmm. how long does it take to really define the desired outcomes for an initiative? So one of the other things that people always say when I say to people, I need to do a lot more thinking about this, they all all kind of groan and say, oh my God, we don't want to spend a year on this. And I kind of go, good quality thinking doesn't take time. It just takes intensity. Yeah, and focus, like focus. And the other thing, that you can get an enormous distance Mm -hmm. in a day. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that when I do the workshops, I kind of aim to have people going home and they're literally putting their hands over their ears and saying, don't say another word, don't say another word to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've made them think so hard. Then I basically, because we use a whole pile of accelerated learning techniques to do this. So I basically tell them, just go home. And one of the techniques, I did a poster on it recently, and it's got all these words sort of like uh, composting, ruminating and mulling and fermenting and all that kind of stuff. And I said, That's exactly my thinking process. Like when I'm trying to yeah. think about big things I want to do in the business or how I want to upgrade my PMO training and implementation program, I or like if I get advice from my advisory, advisory board that I wasn't expecting, I have yeah. to mull, I have to compost, I have to ferment and hopefully it comes some beautiful wine out there on the other side. But yeah, well, you know, it's that process that I've got to go through and it's hard work, but it's it takes me a little bit of time to do it. Well, you see, one of the things that I teach people is that there is a brain, if you understand how the brain actually absorbs and creates ideas, basically what happens is that your brain builds new connections and it's those mm-hmm. new connections that give you the aha yeah. moments. And they're called DSPs, dendrite spiny protuberances. They link the axons in the brain. Basically what happens is that all you've got to do, having had this incredible intensity of day, is go home and have a sleep. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> yes, that's where when I get the good sleep and I know a little bit about the brain stuff as well. And my husband preaches sleep 24 seven around here and except for when he's sleeping, I guess. And you need time for those new synapses Mm. to be connected. You need time for all the beta amyloids or amyloid betas, however you call it to get flushed out of your brain, create, get the toxins out of your brain, get everything moving, get everything connecting and moving that stuff and like processing, right? We're processing the information and figuring out how to build those new connections. So I love it. Keep going. This is great. So basically what I say to people is that just don't think that it's going to take a lot of time. It's yeah. just going to take, and the, the techniques that we use, the brain on the page and the jigsaw puzzle sort, get a lot of information out of people really, really quickly. Neat. And then probably the single biggest roadmap that I have ever done was actually for this disability care organisation. And that was because, as I said, the government came along and they said, yeah, you guys have all been in this business as social ventures and not-for-profits for 40 years, but we're just going to complete completely change all the rules, every single aspect of it and go do it kind of thing. And so they had to rethink every, there wasn't a single bit of their operational areas and, and their mindset and everything that wasn't touched. We did that. We started, we did a really good job on the very first workshop with the executives. But by the time they'd sort of taken the document around and gone through the 14 versions of stuff, I think it took them about three months. Mm. So I don't think that's a lot of time for something that can then run a transformation program for two or three years. Right. 
Right. But it doesn't have to take that long on a singular project, right? No, it's hard to do really quickly. But if we're thinking strategic planning, big picture for the major areas of focus for our organization and a big transformational initiative, then it's like we're always saying, all of us project managers geeking out saying, listen, you've got to plan before you deliver. You've got to plan, then do, plan, then do. Well, this is a part of that process. And getting this right will ensure that the rest of the process goes smoothly. We've got to be clear on what those outcomes, the desired outcomes we're trying to achieve. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I'm doing the I've just put the slide deck for another presentation that I'm doing. And I quote the Alice in Wonderland talking to the Cheshire cat, you know, that famous mm-hmm. one you know, yeah. <laughs> where Alice says, which way should I go? And the Cheshire cat says, well, where do you want to go? And she says, well, I don't really mind. And he says, well, any road will take you there kind of thing. It's right. But <laughs> So the other thing that I've noticed, that once people kind of get, once they've ha- done a couple of these and they've done it the kind of the slow way, mm-hmm. what I find is that, project managers become very good at doing it the fast way. Yeah. What they also get very good at is because, like, I'll go in and I'll use the questioning technique, brain on the page questioning technique with senior executives and stuff. And I always mm-hmm. start up by saying, look, I really need to kind of get into your head. So right. is it okay if I'm going to ask you some questions? And I said, I'm going to write everything down. Is that mm-hmm. okay? And I go, Oh, yeah. I said, what do we have to do? I said, you just sit here and answer my question. And literally what I do is I put all their brain on the page and then usually I give it back to them. I say, okay, well, I want you to kind of try and read my handwriting and sort this out and Mm -hmm. I want you to put it in puzzle. And we call that a jigsaw puzzle sort. So I say, look, just take all the words I've written and if it was a jigsaw puzzle, you'd put the green bits together and the red bits together and the purple bits and whatever and find the corners and stuff. So you write it out as you see fit. Mm -hmm. And what that allows us to do is, in NLP terms, it's called a chunk up where you take things of like and you make a larger grouping. So you're looking for patterns But one of the things that also happens is that you can then see the patterns that are missing. And when you do this two or three, maybe four times, you almost get really good at being able to do it almost without having to go through the long version of it. But having said that, you can still, if you get a senior exec for an hour and a half, Mm-hmm. my goodness, you can get a lot of information out of them. Oh, you really can. I mean, you and I both work in the consulting and education space and spend a lot of time talking to executives. And in 30 minutes, you can find out everything that you need to know about what the desired outcomes are and what success looks like. And you're already yeah. building the mental model as to how you're going to get there, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think yeah. that's all, it's so true. So now you've mentioned executives, you've mentioned the project managers. Is there anyone else that should be involved in this process? of defining or getting to the desired outcomes? This is where I'll get into a lot of trouble because there's a lot of change management methodologies and they talk about change targets (laughs) and they also talk about that people resist change and then they quote the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of on death and dying and five stages of grief and that finally people (laughs) move to acceptance and I go no they don't they get to the first in fact I posted on LinkedIn they go to the first stage which they get angry and what do they do? They, they either walk out yeah. or they start sabotaging you. And yes. I go, and why? You know, these people are 
and they know what's happening and yeah. they put so much effort into keeping an organisation working. Why wouldn't you do this with them? Yes. You know, we did one mining company and they had people from all the different mines around the world, Vietnam and Azerbaijan and all this kind of stuff, all in Melbourne. And we had 80 people. Some of them, English was not their first language, but they all did it. Yeah. And it took yeah. a day and yeah. it was a blast. Yeah, yeah. Why See, wouldn't you involve them? Exactly. Well, and that's don't get it. That's what you, that, it's funny that you say it that way, because that's specifically how I help people think about change resistance. And I don't believe in change resistance. I believe that if you're experiencing change resistance, it's because you're doing change to people instead of with them. Very uh, simple. Exact Mondo. And someone else just got written an article about it a long time ago. He said, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. Yes, exactly. You know, when exactly. you've got sort of the 80-year-old granny who's sort of on Skype and sending WhatsApp messages, oh, for God's sake, she didn't need a change plan to get a new iPhone. Right. She just wanted to have it. She wanted to be a part of the outcome. She Her yeah. desired outcome was being able yeah. to communicate with her family or whatever Correct it is, Mondo. right? So, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing, if we can, so here's this really cool connection between the change resistance that people are experiencing in the organization and the lack of connection to the desired outcomes and a lack of being a part of the process of developing and understanding and feeling yeah. that they can contribute to yeah. those desired outcomes. If people yeah. are connected to the why, and they know that they play an important part in that why, they are going to feel like they are part of the change instead of that it's happening to them. Because even if it's in their best interest, like so many PMO leaders go into organizations and they're like, I know the medicine you need to take. And they might be right, but nobody cares because mm. they didn't, they're trying to shove change at people. They're trying to force people through a process instead of making it theirs. So I think that this is a, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's just, again, we're talking so fast because we're getting excited, but it's just, <laughs> it's the connection that people need to understand. That's why they're hitting that change resistance. So it's yeah, so good. Yeah. So we've talked about how long it should take, what you should do what that process looks like, who should be involved. Now, one more question, because we've done all this, how, why, all of that, what, yeah. let's talk about when, when should you ah. be doing this process and, and how can this, <laughs> let's think about the PMO and, and the role that they can play. When should they be thinking about this? When should they be doing it? Now that we've figured out all the people that need to be included and part of it, et cetera. Okay. So ideally, as soon as you come up with an idea, Yes. You try and frame some outcome statements. Yes. But if that doesn't happen, and let, let's say you're a PMO and you've got a huge, you take over the role and you've got this long list of projects and you've got no idea what the heck they're doing. Right. Well, you can go and you can define outcomes for them and then check whether the project is delivering what you think it might be delivering. Right. I have even done it for a project that was finished and handed over and we yeah. got called in because after the large consulting firm left the organisation, the people, and it was a power utility, were left mm -hmm. with an organisation that kind of had ceased to function. So they kind mm -hmm. of go, oh, we've now got to fix this mess. So we did it then. And then we went back and we said, okay, so now that we know where we are, we've sort of got the software sort of vaguely working. Mm -hmm. How do we remediate this in the best order so that people trust the data and the systems? Because right. when 
you can't trust the data in the system and you're working for a power utility, you have a bit of a problem. Right. So what I say is that you can do it any old time, but if you start up by doing, and the thing is, is that you don't have to get the all singing, all dancing, perfect answer. Just do what you can at the time. And then you just keep coming back and refining it as you get more information. Right. I love that. And that's a great way for PM. So for all of our PMO leaders listening, thinking, oh my gosh, how could I possibly do this? We've got 80 projects, one bite at a time, one piece at Mm -hmm. a time, one step Mm -hmm. at a time. And you don't have to spend three months getting outcomes, desired outcomes defined for every project. You can have a 30 minute meeting with the right stakeholder that really Mm -hmm. is the sponsor of this Mm -hmm. initiative, the one that's got that vision and that idea. And I suggest you can start with meeting with just that one person, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that control the budget for the project. They're the ones that are going to be measuring the success of that project based on these desired outcomes. So if you don't have those documented, there's no way you can be successful. So it doesn't have to be extremely overwhelming or complicated and it can be done one step at a time and the earlier the better the ones that worry you (laughs) yes i was just going to say that well i went to work for an organization i was on their leadership team and we were building a pmo from scratch and they had this whole portfolio of initiatives and of course i asked them like what's the priority and they say all of them and i'm like okay so we have unlimited time unlimited budget you know how that story goes right but then i said to them so we had to get some clearly defined outcomes, desired outcomes for these initiatives in the eyes of the stakeholder, in the eyes of the business customer. And I said, you know what, why don't we start with the ones that are the angriest with us? Right? Like, yeah, why don't yeah. we start with the ones we're the most concerned about? Get clear yeah. there. And I can tell you that some really significant relationships years later for me in my consulting practice and my own company have came from doing that process right by those customers, right? So this is literally transformational for an organization. And then for me, years later in my own company, those stakeholders, those customers gave me a call when they needed help to do this because they saw how quickly we were able to turn things around by focusing on desired outcomes. So this is absolutely achievable. Yeah, it doesn't, it's very, once you've learned the techniques, it's very quick to do. The good thing is, is everybody can learn to do them. And in fact, one of the things I make a joke about after I've taught people, they keep coming back to me and they say, and I review this project. It just didn't have any clear desired outcomes. And if they've done da 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 da, I'm going, oh my God, you're sounding like a reformed, used to be you'd say reformed smoker. Now you say, I'm reformed and I don't eat sugar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. So so this has been a quick but deep dive on outcomes. And I know that we could continue talking about this literally all day. So for people that want to take a next step on this, and every one of you listening should, I want to tell them a little bit about your PMO Impact Summit session that you're doing in September. Can you tell people a little bit about what to expect for that event? Well, what I'm actually going to do is I haven't gotten near enough time in the session. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about there are nine major ways or 10 major ways in which outcomes change everything about project delivery. I've only actually got time to talk about six of them and I don't have time 
to talk about the details of the brain on a page and jigsaw puzzle sort techniques, but I'll put them in the slides. But I will talk about a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight, like the mental model that we've got about projects, the turnkey model, why it's like the water in which the goldfish swims, not even noticed, but it has influenced so many of the things that we do. And also the other thing is, is that the when you adopt this thinking, it doesn't you don't throw away what you know, you just wrap it around what yeah. you know. Yeah, right. So, and I do Can want give people me an to hour and a half to talk about it and I'll talk about it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, girl, you can have as much time as you want because I feel like yeah. this is so important. So what we'll do is we will include some action-taking resources to help people put into practice some of the techniques as well. So yep. they will they will be able to learn some of these techniques, learn some of these ways to help get to that desired outcomes, thinking and conversation, and then add some tools in action, taking resources for them to take it a step further. So yeah, um, and I'll, and I'll put together uh, one of the case studies. I've got like hundreds of them that we've done. So I'll, I've got some clients that allow me to share. So I'll share some Wonderful. of those. Mm. Wonderful. Well, Alex, this has been fantastic. Thank you for going on this fast paced, deep dive with us into <laughs> desired outcomes. <laughs> Why they're so important, the role of the PMO, the role of the project team, how to get there, when to do it, who to include. This has been fantastic. So Alex, thank you so much for being here today for this podcast episode. My pleasure. All right, Impact Driver, you heard it here. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by UMT360. Gartner advises any organization looking to drive business agility to adopt a best of breed strategic portfolio management solution in addition to any tools used to manage execution. UMT360 is positioned in Gartner's recent Magic Quadrant report with a solution that delivers all of the missing strategic portfolio management capabilities you'll need to align all execution with strategy. You can learn more at umt360.com. That's umt360.com. Okay, now make sure you register for the free PMO Impact Summit right now. If you have not registered, I do not know what you're waiting for. You have the opportunity to connect with Alex and all of our other thought leaders that are participating in this event inside the web-based version and mobile app version of the Impact Driver Network. Connect with them in the community and do some networking, play some of our games, get into the flow and the excitement of the PMO Impact Summit before we even start on September 20th. Thank you so much for being here today, Alex. I'm so grateful for you taking time to help explain to this audience all about desired outcomes. It's absolutely my pleasure. All right, Impact Drivers, that's it for this session. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye for now.